invite you now to take your Bibles and uh, we turn to the Word of our God. And we will read, our scripture reading uh, is uh, from 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The second book of Chronicles, we read chapter 5, verse 2 to 14. And after that we will sing, uh, have the text that is uh, Psalm 100. So scripture reading 2 Chronicles 5, verse 2 to 14. It's... Um, it's the time that Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord after the building of, uh, of this uh, of after this building had been completed. So we read 2 Chronicles 5, verse 2 to 14. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but it could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves, without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them one hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed it came to pass when the trumpets and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. We will uh, continue in the book of Psalms, and this is uh, Psalm 100 we have as our text. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him, his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. 
Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. This is the word of our God. In uh, response to the to the preaching, we will sing hymn five. Immediately after the preaching, we will sing hymn uh, five, all the stanzas. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is everybody happy? Now, I don't expect a massive, yay! Uh, that's not our way of doing things, right? And now, besides that, some of you may be thinking, yeah, I'm happy most of the time. And others may mutter, no, I'm not. But are Christians not supposed to be happy then? Are Christians not supposed to be people that, that live out of the joy of faith? I mean, you may not feel the urge to be a walking smiley face all the time, but you cannot deny that the Bible often talks about joy. The question is, how do you express your joy? Perhaps you are sometimes so overwhelmed by the misery and the trouble in your life that that negative feelings crush your joy. It can happen. But then think of the Holy God. God is entitled to our praise and worship for what he has done in his grace and in his faithfulness. And the Bible is full of that. And in the Old Testament, you find that in particularly when he speaks about the temple worship. In Israel, the temple worship was evidence of the grace of God. I have to adjust a little bit here. Papers blow all over the place. So yeah, in... Um, in Israel, the temple worship was evidence of God's grace. There was the awesome reality that God was dwelling with his people. In 2 Chronicles 5, we, we've read about that, about the abundant joy at the dedication of the temple. When the priests were putting the ark of the Lord in the most holy place, the praise of God, sung by, by massive Levite choirs, Accompanied by lots of musical instruments, it must have been thundering over the city of Jerusalem. Imagine that. The earth-shaking blast of 120, 120 trumpets. Indeed, the God of the covenant claims all the praise and all the worship of his people. And he still does today. The temple is long gone. But this has not changed. In his amazing grace in Jesus, God is dwelling with us and he is entitled to our praise and worship. And, and he brings us together to do just that. Praise him and worship him. To celebrate his grace this morning in particular also in the Holy Supper. And that makes the message of Psalm 100 utterly relevant for us today. The God of the covenant claims the worship of his people. That's the message for this morning. The God of the covenant claims the worship of his people. First we hear in Psalm 100 the call to worship. And then we look at the place of worship. And then the reason for worship. 
So the God of the covenant claims the worship of his people, the call to worship, the place of worship, and the reason for worship. Congregation, although Psalm 100 does not belong to the songs of ascent, the, the, the pilgrim songs, uh, that's 120 to 134, uh, Psalm 100 does have all the features of it. The psalm reflects the glad, the intense gladness and joy, the praise and worship that shows in all the aspects of the temple service. When the pilgrims from far away come to Jerusalem and enter the city, and they fill the chorus of the temple with, with, with the songs of God's people, when the choirs of the priests and the Levites with, with antiphonal singing calling each other to give praise, honor, and glory to God, then the words of Psalm 100 have a, get a very deep and strong glow. The same happens when we gather for worship. right? When we, when we read or sing this psalm as a congregation, if we just did, we may experience many mixed emotions in our lives, especially when we look at people, people around us. But we are called to look at the Lord. We are called to look at Him who is good and whose love endures forever. Now, when we read Psalm 100, the first thing you may have noticed is the urgent character. The singers of Psalm 100 call each other and call you and me to glorify and praise God. But it's actually stronger. They urge us. They insist on it. They instruct God's people. Shout, worship, come, sing, know, give thanks, praise. These are all commands. These are instructions. There's a variety of verbs, but with all that, the author stresses that we may never neglect praising God, that we may never stop worshiping God. Now, this is here always a matter of expressing your praise and joy in, in a loud and exuberant way. That makes sense, because it can never be restricted to an inner and quiet joy that is locked up in your heart. Now, inner joy, quiet joy, should be there. Of course it is, in your heart. But it cannot remain hidden in your heart all the time. It cannot remain just an inner feeling. If there is real joy and thankfulness, it will seek ways to come out, to express itself. That's how it works. If you know who God is, if you really think of that, meditate on that, and what God is doing, you will eventually thank Him and praise Him in such a way that other people can see it, that other people can hear that. That's because this joy of God's children is never just an individual feeling based on your personal experience. It is a shared joy because of what we share within the community of God's people, God's covenant. It is something that becomes visible again in a special way when we share the bread and the wine this morning. We share the love of God in Jesus. That is why our thanksgiving, our praise and worship is always praising and worshiping within the community. To be sure, there is definitely a very personal aspect to this. 
Right? I mentioned it. But in Psalm 100, we learn that God calls us to praise and worship Him in His church, together with His people, and calling other people in the covenant community to come and join and do the same, to praise and worship together, so that all God's children may share in the joy. But can you do that? I mean, what if some of us here don't really feel like it because they don't experience any joy can you can you call those brothers and sisters who don't experience any joy for whatever reason can you call them and you urge them to praise God yes you can here's the big idea as children of God you do not praise and glorify God just because of how you feel it is not rooted in your personal experience. Now, if that would be the reason, you might as well go home and do it on your own or just quit altogether praising God. I mean, even if you would feel happy, perhaps nobody else does. And you can't really force your joy on other people, can you? Now, the song of praise of God's people is first and foremost a response to what God has done for lost sinners. His faithful love and His grace in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. It's what we celebrate in the Holy Supper this morning. Right? When, when, when we see the signs, we see what God has been doing. We see the grace of our Lord. And, and, and these are the things that make you sing for joy. These are the things that make you shout for joy and thankfulness. And it's not just a one-time thing. It cannot be. This, this, this must continue to dominate your lives as God's people all the time. For God's saving grace in Jesus, you know what it does to you? It turns your life upside down. It really does. He makes you a new person. And then praising and worshiping God becomes a permanent activity. Praising and worshiping God is a way of life for God's children. Always and everywhere. That's why Psalm 100 issues an urgent call to worship. And that urgent call to worship is relevant for all of us in all of life. Shout for joy to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord and praise His name. It's a, it's a remarkable thing that this psalm uh, calls not only individuals. It calls the whole world. Yeah? Praise the Lord all the nations or all the earth. All the earth is called to worship. We should never think small about God. We should never think narrow about God. The Lord chose Israel out of all the nations of the world to be his people. But that does not mean that God forgot all the other nations in the world. As if he doesn't care for the rest of the world. No, no. The Lord, the God of Israel, remains king of all the earth. He promised that through Israel, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Now that blessing came in Jesus. The Savior of Jews and Gentiles gathers his church from all nations and tribes and languages. And so today our God 
continues to claim all praise and worship from all the nations. That is God's right. God's divine right. He's entitled to that. Even if many people in this world deny him. And, 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 and ignore his majesty and authority in our society too. That doesn't take away the claim of our God. Having said that, God's call to worship the creator and redeemer of life resonates in particular, of course, with those within the gates of God's city, within the gates of God's temple, the church. They must show what it means to worship the Lord with gladness. That is your task in the midst of what's going on in this world. Now, how does that come out? It does come out, first of all, when we gather for worship together, when we are here and meet each other as believing followers of Jesus, and when we meet each other around the Lord's Supper table. But it doesn't stop there. After all, in our lives, everything must reflect the service and the worship of God, not reluctantly, not grudgingly, but with joy. To live by grace in the covenant relationship with God is to live in that joy, deep joy. Because we know Him in His powerful work in Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection. He is entitled to the festive joy, the worship of you and me and everyone else. That makes the call to worship so urgent. Come into his presence, enter into his gates, give thanks to him, bless his name, shout for joy to the Lord because of the greatness and the glory of our God. So, hear the call, listen to the call, and let others know it whenever and wherever we are in his holy presence. In the Old Testament, the festive joy of God's people was expressed in particular in the temple worship. The temple was the place where the Lord dwelled in the midst of his people. That's the backdrop for Psalm 100. At Mount Sinai, after the Israelites had left Egypt, the Lord had renewed his covenant of love with his people. He gave Moses the instruction, have them make a sanctuary for me. And that instruction came with a promise. I will dwell among them. So here's the incredible miracle of God's grace. The grace of the Holy God. He wants to live with sinful people. And God did what he had promised. It, it was an overwhelming experience. In Exodus 40 we read that when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, the grace of the Holy God was there. And Moses could not enter. He had to stay outside. And the same happened when the glory of the Lord filled the new temple that Solomon had built. We read about that. The serving priests were simply pushed outside. They could not do what they were supposed to be doing. That's how overwhelmingly powerful and majestic the glory of God manifested itself. It's too much for sinful people. Now if it is too much for sinful people, how is it still possible then? How can the holy and almighty God dwell with unholy sinners? People that continue to resist them, continue to disobey him. Well, try to picture this in, in the Old Testament. When the Israelites go to the temple to worship, you know, he, he, they walk through the gates, they enter the courts. What's the first thing that the Israelite sees when he does that? He sees the buildings of the temple. Wonderful. 
beautiful, glorious, magnificent. The most holy place is the place where God Almighty is enthroned on the cherubim. How will he ever be able to come close to this holy God? But then he also sees in that temple the altar in front of the temple. And he sees the smoke rise up from the fire on the altar. He sees and smells the sacrifices. And because of that fire and because of these sacrifices, the temple court can be the place of song and thanksgiving and praise and worship. For in those daily sacrifices on that altar, God's grace for unworthy sinners becomes visible. And it's all possible because of the one sacrifice of Jesus. Because of his blood poured out on the cross, it was possible at that time, and it is possible today, that the Holy God is dwelling among sinful people. And thus today for you and me and for everyone else, the place of worship is whatever the word of God, whatever the message of God's grace and reconciliation in Jesus' blood, whatever that message is being proclaimed and pictured in the Holy Supper. As we hear the word and we eat the bread and the wine, the glory of the Lord is present. The glory of the Lord fills the house in the mediator Jesus. For the author of Psalm 100, God's temple is the place where corporate worship is concentrated. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, he says. For here the blood of reconciliation is poured out. The priests and the Levites are leading worship. Singing, making music before the Lord. Now there have also been times in Israel when the gates and the courts of the temple were boarded up. No more sacrifices, no more music, no more praise and worship. Sometimes it was even worse. Then God's dwelling place was refurnished for idol worship. But then in mercy and love, the Lord chose again dwelling place among his people, the people gathered by Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his holy Catholic Church. That's why we can sing Psalm 100 today. It calls you and me together to praise and worship the Holy God. Appear in his holy presence. That's what you do when you come here. Appear in his holy presence where the Lord wants to see you, where the Lord wants to hear your voices, whether it's inside the building or outside here. It doesn't matter. And, and in this church, you will find yourself addressed by the word of his grace. And here you will celebrate his grace in the sacrament of the Holy Supper. Here you will find yourself embraced by the love of God, so that His Holy Spirit will renew you, and you may grow in your faith. But remember this. Yeah, remember this. Those who enter His gates and courts to come in God's holy presence without a repentant heart, those who despise the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, those who don't care for God's grace and mercy, they will find God's wrath. Today, we no longer need the fire on the altar of burnt offering. But we may sing Psalm 100 as we worship where Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins comes to us.
It comes to us in the word of God's grace. It comes to us in the gospel of salvation. Whatever that word is proclaimed, we meet the holy God and we praise him and thank him. But when the church neglects the message of salvation by Jesus' sacrifice, then worship becomes a matter of empty rituals and hollow sounds that you might as well close the courts and the gates and go home. Now, by now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, God's grace and love in Jesus should be reason for praise and worship. We get that. We get that message. Understand it. And yet we have not only time of joy and happiness. We also have our sad and down days. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of hurt. There is misery. There is grief. You will experience disappointments, frustrations, personally, in your marriage, in your family, in the lives of your children, or in the church. You, you cannot simply ignore those things, can you? And then that's not only personal, but what about the tragedies in the world? Where so many people are suffering, and live in fear, experience terrible atrocities. Think of the most recent things in Afghanistan and Haiti. Think of this whole COVID pandemic thing. Now these questions are very real and they teach us at least one thing. At some moments in your life expressing joy and praise will be less exuberant than at other times. At times it can be difficult to express your joy. And you know what? That's okay. However, we can never abolish the praise and the worship God is entitled to. We cannot just quit doing what he calls us to do. Why is that? What can be the reason for worship that is so strong that it remains valid even in days that you and I feel weak and small and confused or sad or upset. If verse 3 Psalm 100 stresses that at all times and all circumstances we must know that the Lord, He is God. No, you are not being told here to ignore your suffering or simply forget your hurt or grief or sadness. No. But open your eyes and open your ears and recognize your Creator. He made us. And we belong to Him. We are His. This is awesome. God Himself made each one of us. And He brought us together to show us His grace and give His promises. To Him you belong. He loves you. And not just you. As the great shepherd, He takes care of all the sheep of His flock. He knows your needs. And in His compassion... He will take care of you. And he carries each one of you. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. And the Holy Supper shows us again. With everything that's going on in your life. You are in good hands. You are in capable hands. 
You are in the hands of him who brought you, who bought you with his precious blood. He made us, and we belong to him. As Paul sang in Romans 8, nothing in the whole world will be able to separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. Then you learn to sing. Then you learn to praise and to worship, sometimes loud, sometimes exuberant, and sometimes soft, sometimes subdued, with muffled sounds and tears in your eyes. But you won't stop because you know who your God is and you know that he does not change. He made you and he loves you. In Jesus Christ you may live in communion with the one who has shown this love. Your father will never leave you. Your father will never forsake you. And now you know where your hope is coming from. Now you know again where your only comfort is coming from. So please, please, come and sing and celebrate and give thanks, praise and worship for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Amen.